Friends, the Lord be with you. As Jonathan said, I have the great joy of walking alongside college students as well as joining with the rest of you in rooting on and praying for all of the college students who are part of the parish at Pillar. Summer is a glorious time of year to be a college student and by association, a great time of year to be a college pastor as well. One of the highlights for me is getting to hang out with college students outside of the typical hustle and bustle of the academic year. Check out these snapshots from some of the cookouts we've had down the road at John and Kristen Brown's house as we seek to feed the masses with all kinds of food, burgers and brats hot off the grill. What more could you ask for after a long year of dealing with the pandemic? We're all loving the wide open countryside of summer. And as always, it's a gift to be together to open up God's word. And every time we do so, we encounter the world of God's creation, salvation, and blessing, most finally fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So just to whet the appetite, listen to this from C.S. Lewis. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first kind of event in the world history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation, a new chapter and cosmic history is opened. With that kind of prelude, I'm eager to get into our text. So hear the word of the Lord from Acts 8, starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who's in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning seated in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the place in the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? for his life is taken away from the earth. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet speak about himself or about someone else? And Philip opened up his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to be stopped. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And as they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. As for Philip, he found himself in Azotus, and as he went through the towns, he continued to preach the gospel until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Acts of Apostles, where our text comes from this morning, is St. Luke's telling of the early church's mission, that God raised Jesus from the dead for the forgiveness of sins and for the salvation of the world is what we call gospel, which surprised the world and has the capacity to surprise it still. It's the gift for the ages that animated the first Christians, and the task was to proclaim and embody the truth of all things, namely that Jesus is Lord. Philip, then, one of the characters from our text today, reappears in the story. Earlier on in Acts, he is commissioned as one of the seven to address the first major in-house crisis of the church, which was that the widows were being neglected. Then, when persecution scatters the church, Philip leaves the role for which he's originally assigned, heads down the road to Samaria, preaches the word, and heals in Jesus' name. So at this point, there's dramatic development in the story. Stephen, Philip's fellow deacon, has just become the first Christian martyr after being stoned to death for his witness to Jesus. And yet, in trying to beat out the flames of the gospel movement, its opponents scattered the sparks far and wide and only increased the scope of the fire. So here's Philip for a third time with direct instructions to join the chariot of the treasurer of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. To get the lay of the land a little bit more, Ethiopia in antiquity is modern-day Sudan. For the Jews, Ethiopia was a far-off and distant land, and it was known for its material wealth uh, and for its uh, military prowess as well. So when Philip is summoned by the Spirit to join the man in the chariot, he does so without hesitation. So given this context, there are three things I'd love to take a look at with you all today. And they are the eunuch's desire to know, Philip's desire to tell, and God's desire to save. First, I wonder what you made of the character Luke calls the Ethiopian eunuch. 
As mentioned, this guy is in the queen's court, so in some sense, he's a big deal. He has a powerful position in a wealthy nation with social standing and political connections. And while opinions about eunuchs in the ancient world were varied, this guy clearly has influence. And so I find it absolutely fascinating. The man in the royal chariot, now on his way home, is reading from Israel's scriptures. This high-ranking foreign official with all the influence, all the privileges, all he could ever ask for, still longing for something more. He still desires to know the truth. The first point we're tracking today. One of the great gifts of my role is witnessing college students who get liberal arts while they're at Hope, which also happens to be a huge part of my testimony during college. Even as a political science major, I still had to come face-to-face with the Christian classics. Boethius's Consolation, Augustine's Confessions, Aquinas's Summa, Dante's Divine Comedy, such classics invite us to ask the fundamental questions about the truth of things. So at places like hope, liberal arts in the context of historic faith, theology is the queen of the sciences and the Bible is the norm that norms all knowledge, doctrine, and life. And of course, that's what Pillar pursues as well. I'm sure you've heard this before from Leslie Newbegin the Bible, a starting point for a whole new kind of rationality for the possibility of living hopefully in a world without hope, for the perpetual praise of God who not only creates order out of chaos, but also breaks through fixed orders to create ever new situations of surprise and joy. What animates places like Hope College and Pillar Church is something the Ethiopian eunuch is after as well. He takes up the scriptures in search of the truth. And this is where Philip comes onto the scene, the second point we're tracking today. Philip is eager to tell the truth. Imagine for a second the social dynamic here. Philip running to catch up with this chariot. He's got to be out of breath to ask a royal official seated on high in his chariot, do you understand what you're reading? So on one hand, there's some serious boldness from Philip to tell the truth. And on the other hand, as mentioned, the eunuch's humility before the truth and his earnest desire to seek it out his response to Philip's question, how can I unless someone guides me? So when the two take a look at the text, which by the way is verbatim from Isaiah 53, the eunuch follows up with a question that gets to the heart of the matter. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet speak? About himself or about someone else? great question to ask and I wonder if you notice the audible Philip calls at this point. He himself the one who initiates the conversation with a question but now here's his opportunity. 
Hence, he moves from Socratic method of questioning to evangelist mode of proclaiming. Jesus tells him the good news about Jesus, which, by the way, isn't just reserved for Philip. It's a charge for all of us who confess that Jesus is Lord. Having been uh, raised in the Reformed Church, I confess this doesn't always come naturally, and it certainly is a growing edge in my own life. Imagine the folks the Lord puts in our path on a day-to-day basis at the grocery store or the dry cleaners, the coffee shop, the local establishment. Any number of places can be a context to tell the truth about who Jesus is. And it won't always have the immediate and dramatic impact that Philip had with this Ethiopian eunuch. I have a friend who calls himself a non-theist. I think that's what uh, current folks call themselves now instead of atheists. So he's a non-theist who I'm in a long-standing conversation with regarding the truth of Christianity. When he moved to Denver, we continued uh, exchanging emails, and more recently, we were texting back and forth, and I sent him a quote I had come across by N.T. Wright, and it's this. The death of Jesus of Nazareth as the king of the Jews, the bearer of Israel's destiny, the fulfillment of God's promises to his people of old is either the most stupid, senseless waste and misunderstanding the world has ever seen, or it is the fulcrum around which world history turns. I was so curious to get his response on it, and this is what he sent me back. Interesting last line there. I dig it. We fall on opposite ends of it, but I think to come to such a conclusion is sound. I absolutely love that. That then led to some more back and forth where, guess what? He is still utterly unconvinced that Christianity is true. But that's not stopping me either. I'm keeping the conversation alive and trusting God will continue to pursue this friend of mine. And there's reason for such confidence. When we look in the Christian tradition, how about St. Augustine who writes this of his mentor Ambrose? He received me like a father with a kindness most fitting. I began to like him. At first, indeed, not as a teacher of the truth, for I had absolutely no confidence in your church, but as a human being who was kind to me. Augustine, arguably the most brilliant mind in the history of Christendom, found the faith barbaric and plain before encountering the kindness of his teacher, Ambrose, on the way to his own conversion. Philip, back to the story, told the good news about Jesus, and it's a charge for all of us as well. A few years ago, Pillar was invited to London to attend an Alpha Leadership Conference at Holy Trinity Church in Brompton. Jenna Barber and I, Uh, were sent there in part to see if Alpha could be a useful tool uh, and serve us well given the context and mission at Pillar. And what I found amazing about their approach was the way the gospel was presented. 
gracious, gracious, humble, relational, hospitable. To use Hans Frey's phrase, they embodied a generous orthodoxy. And one of the lasting memories for me from the trip was a Sunday worship service at Holy Trinity in the heart of London. There must have been six or seven adult baptisms that morning, all with some connection to the Alpha program. Now, as a Calvinist, I'm all for baptizing babies, but I gotta tell you, it was amazing to see these folks and hear testimony of their faith. And I also got the sense this was no one-off. This was a regular occurrence and a part of the Sunday rhythm at Holy Trinity in the heart of London. The joy so palpable on that uh, winter Sunday must have been true for Philip too, who baptized the eunuch on the spot. The Spirit of God activating the Word of God in real time now from Isaiah 56. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. Wow, just three chapters later from the place the eunuch was reading in the chariot. You can't make this stuff up. This, in the truest sense, is who God is and what God does. God desires to save. And on this, the scriptures are crystal clear. First, from the apostle Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some counsel in this, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the Apostle Paul, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, in his good pleasure, in the fullness of time, saves. We are at one time more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believed. And yet, at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. It's what the Ethiopian desired to know and what Philip desired to tell, and it's the good news of Jesus for the life of the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.